episode 51 of Zed Daily. Today, I have the Wagney Racing Brothers with us. I have Marshall and Saunders. How you guys doing, man? Pretty good, man. Great to be here. Yeah, happy to be here. Cool, man. I'm glad to have you guys. So, to get it started, I wanted to just ask you guys how you got into crypto. Yeah, let's see. I can I can probably take that one first. Yeah. Um, so, I graduated undergrad in 2016. Uh, I had heard a bit about Bitcoin and Ethereum at that point, but um, didn't really have much context for it. Um, I started working in software development. And then one of my buddies in the 2017 bull run, when I think a lot of like new retail users started hearing about crypto, um, told me about it. And I just kind of went down that crypto rabbit hole that I think a lot of people go to go down, which is like incessantly reading every piece of content you can find about crypto online, getting on Twitter and like following as many people who know what they're talking about on Twitter, um, learning about it. I didn't have very much money at the time, um, like in the thousands of dollars to put into my crypto portfolio. And so I was kind of experimenting, um, made a lot of mistakes, but then, um, you know, I, I think went way up in 2017, then way back down. Um, but I think I really learned the most in the bear market um, around 2018 and then got into DeFi and that kind of changed everything for me um, using like the, the first DeFi apps that went live on Ethereum, um, kind of being an early adopter and then growing my portfolio from there. So um, it, it might be kind of a typical story for a lot of people that got in in 2017, but um, lots of ups and downs, uh, but glad I glad I took the dive for sure. Awesome. How about you, Marshall? Uh, yeah, I mean, so I first started hearing about it in high school. I heard just people were starting to talk about this thing called Bitcoin. And I started like looking into it. And I really actually started talking to Saunders about it a lot. And then he kind of filled me in on some things. I still obviously didn't really know what I was doing. Didn't have a, any really money back then. So Saunders just kind of helped me out. And he's really been the person that's kind of, uh, I guess, guided me, I would say, through the whole crypto space since I've been interested in it. And then I think I would argue like last year is when I really started to be much more interested in it okay so when did you guys make the move from crypto to nfts Ooh. Yeah, that, that, that's that's a great question so i've always been more of a like crypto DeFi um person but that's that's really just how i got started in crypto and i think um when i first heard about like nfts like jpegs and profile pictures um I kind of missed that first wave because it just seemed a bit, I don't know, silly. Um, and I've never really been one to like get on social media and like buy something really expensive just to promote myself or, um, but I, I think Marshall actually showed me Zed Run at the time. And I had been interested in crypto gaming more generally. And he was like, you know, you can buy these NFT horses and they actually can make you money. They have cash flow. And I was like, whoa like NFTs that are also productive assets, that's exactly like DeFi. Um, and so that clicked instantly to me. And I was like, wow, like NFT gaming is gonna be huge, maybe even bigger than DeFi. Everyone loves gaming and then gaming plus making money. I mean, that's just like gaming on steroids. Um, so once I like saw the vision of productive gaming NFTs, I think that's when it really clicked even more for me. Um, and then we kind of started experimenting with Zed Run and then Obviously, as you know, like took a much a much bigger plunge after that. But um, so yeah, so I'm, 
I, I, Marshall may credit me for getting him into crypto. I credit Marshall for getting me into NFTs. That's so a, it's a great partnership though. That's awesome. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so Marshall, when you take this to your brother, did you guys expect to be in the place you're in now? Or did you, was this just entertainment at the time? Oh no, I was just thinking this would be like, maybe like a side thing for a little bit. Um, I never thought it would get as big as it obviously has gotten. I remember just watching like TikTok one day and that's how I first saw Zed run. And I was like, I didn't think much of it. Saw it again. And then I was like, I'm gonna look into this. Um, started watching Poseidon Racing and uh, I think it's pronounced Centribus Stables. That's correct. And uh, from there, I was like, you know, I want to invest in this. Told Saunders about it. And he got very excited about it as well. And then, you know, next thing we knew, we bought Exit Only. And then, you know, just has taken off from there. All right. So, so when did the mentality switch from entertainment to investment? Was it after that first horse? Was it after a, a big race win or like stud fees that you're receiving? Like what was the, the golden egg that made you guys want to go deeper into this game? Yeah. So I, I think we, we bought a few horses early on that yeah. were like, okay. Um, it was like a lot of uh, buterins. We, we didn't want to spend too much money. We just wanted to dabble. We started racing those, bred them with, I would say very limited success. Um, uh, I, I think we quickly realized that in Zed, if you don't have like really good horses, you're going to um, have a hard time. Um, like there's there's a few strategies for Zed, but definitely um, acquiring dominant horses is a, a good strategy to follow if you can do that. Um, and so we, we had limited success early on, but I think we were having a ton of fun anyway. Like I found myself just staying up late, racing horses, Marshall and I would like zoom each other and like watch races. And, um, I started like, you know, looking at know your horses for like hours at a time, like analyzing data, um, looking at different horses. I think, um, the first horse that we saw that we felt like, oh my God, this horse is like really good was music city. Um, but we just had like no context for like what a good horse was or what you can, you can see a horse that looks really good, but then there's always one that's even better. And oftentimes the data even lies to you. So it was, it was um, we saw music city. We're like, we got to have that horse. And I think we overpaid quite a bit for it, but um, then we were actually like winning races. And then that was just like way too much fun <laughs> um, to actually get on the track and, and start winning. And so I think after that um, we found forever new because we had raced against Forever New with Music City and Forever New just destroyed Music City. I was like, oh my God, like the horse that we thought was the best just got beat by this other horse. That's even better. Like, how is that possible? So, um, so then we like contacted the seller of, or the owner of Forever New and that ended up being Diamond Hands, which was like possibly the best person we could have been introduced to as new players coming into the game. Um, because he's just, I mean, you've had him on the podcast. He's just a great guy, super nice, super open. Um, he kind of like brought us into like a, a larger Zed run community, gave us a lot of guidance and advice. Um, and I think that really made us feel comfortable, like investing more money is seeing the community, um, how passionate, like a lot of the other stables are, um, and, and, and just how much fun it was. Like, I, I think a lot of us, when we start Zed run, you just start doing it way too much time. Um, ignoring other things that maybe you should be paying attention to. And, and so it's kind of like, you just can't help yourself because it's just so addicting. Yeah. It's a hundred percent. So addicting. So I like what you said that like, maybe you didn't really know how to analyze before and you might like have some new information now. So how did the process change? But like with, uh, those first two horses and like analyzing a horse and then going and making an offer on it to now 
to where like how do you guys break down a horse and then try and find like a fair offer to make on that horse yeah you know that's that's a great question i think our our strategy on that has like evolved quite a bit marshall did you want to say something i um, I mean, like, I think one of our biggest statistics is obviously know your horses. We have to go there. I think that's the big start. And then um, <clears throat> the heat thing I've always been on the fence about since we, as we've seen with some of those like tournament glitches, how the fire can be dispersed like differently. So a lot of it might be having to um, jump into know your horses, like head to head features, and then see how they stack up against like some of the better horses in the game, like, you know, like Y2K, 2K, uh, things like that. And then I'm just seeing how they do in like paid win percentage, especially for class one, since that's really what we've been targeting and yeah, things like that. Yeah. The, the head to head feature is great. I think one of the tough parts about Zed is you'll look at data and what you'll find is that the data lies to you quite a bit. Mm -hmm. um, we actually came into Zed like right before they got rid of odds. And I think the people that have the context of like odds and then no more odds in that transitioning to flames, um, understand some of the ways that the data lies to you a bit better than maybe new players. Um, but I think definitely like looking at a horse and realizing, you know, it's the whole context of who have they been racing? Um, you know, are they a variance horse or a base ability horse or a distance specialist? Um, you know, how do you look at um, the way in which, you know, they're more likely to get third and second place or more likely to get first place? Um, and so, and, and then, you know, the field competition, like one of the reasons we thought Music City was really good originally was because it had great flame rates um, across the board and like marathon. Um, but then I think what we quickly realized is a lot of those races were in, you know, lower fee, free um, against worse competition. And with those distance specialists, you know, once you hit, like they can just dominate weaker fields. Um, you know, like we have a few horses that in a weak field will just almost get like first through third almost every time. Um, but then, you know, once they start facing higher base ability, more competition, then they'll get like third through fifth almost every time <laughs> um, and, and then not become profitable. So I think, um, you know, looking at things like um, head to head, I, I think we do like head to heads. Like now when we look at a horse, I'll do head to head with like every possible horse that I think is like any good. Mm. And then, you know, try to try to see which head to heads have enough data to be meaningful. But um, yeah, Marshall, do you have anything else to add add to that? I, mean, I think that's a pretty good summary of what we what we usually do. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I, I mean, it's it, it's kind of tough because you see a horse that you think is really good, but it's hard to know um, if they're like the best or like uh, you know. So there's like a big gap between even like the horses at the very very top and the horses that are like a few tiers below that and being able to distinguish that is is pretty tough. I think the tournaments really help though, because then you get to see horses against like these stacked quarterfinal races, and then you kind of get a better sense of it if, if a horse has been in a lot of those fields. Okay. So let's say you guys find a horse that you want. Does the owner have to be like already, does the horse already have to be up for sale? And then you're going to no negotiate from there? Or do you just go and say, hey, are you willing to sell your horse for X amount? You know, that's also been tough for us um, because I think a lot of the horses that we would like to target, at least in the past, um, oftentimes like weren't for sale. And so a lot of the Zed owners like to hold on to their horses or like to do um, maybe deals off OpenSea to avoid the cut or things like that. But um, so finding, you know, the owners of the horses that um, we wanted to buy 
um, was challenging. But I think once we started making a few big purchases, we just got like flooded um, with a lot of people and then kind of the opportunities were coming to us. So they weren't listed on OpenSea. They weren't, you know, available to find, but people would just come to us and be like, I have this whole stable of horses. Like, do you want any of them? <laughs> and so a lot of that um, kind of helped us get better deals too, because I think in, in the early stages when you're just looking at what's publicly available, often those horses are maybe overpriced or um, horses that the stable owners don't want. But then when you kind of get into the community and people start approaching you, you, you can get access to better deals. Okay, sweet. So what, what was the, uh, the justification or your guys' thought process of going and buying Artois? Oh man. Um, I, I think, I think I have to credit Ryan with that one. He was very persistent. Um, <laughs> Ryan must've been messaging us over weeks and weeks and weeks talking about Artois, talking Artois up. Um, I think that's another one of the cases where like we thought we had a really good horse and then there was like a better one. Um, you know, at that time, I think we had LBJ goat and forever new, and we were like, these horses must be the best marathoners in the game. They're so good. And then we started racing our twad and we we're just getting destroyed. <laughs> we we're like, oh my goodness, you know, there's an even better one. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think Ryan, um, you know, was, was pretty persistent. We, we developed a relationship with him over a while, kind of getting in, you know, first talking to diamond hands and then arbitrage and then crimson racing. And then, you know, some other stables and, and know your horses and Ryan were definitely like in there early, helping us understand the game. Um, and, you know, it, it was, it was great to do a deal with them because I think, you know, Ar Artois is an amazing horse, deserves that price. We got the Artois skin along with the deal. So Artois is going to be looking pretty cool soon uh, racing. But I, I, I think, you know, besides maybe Ready, Set, Boom or a few others, Artois is definitely um, one of the top marathoners in the game. And, and I think that's what we were looking for in that purchase. Awesome. Okay. Marshall, I'll ask you this. What are your thoughts on ELO and how it's going to affect the future of this game? I'm, I'm really excited personally for ELO. Um, I actually have a couple of friends we've recently been trying to help get into the game. And unfortunately, their horses have been kind of uh, crushed a little bit by the class system and how, especially when once they changed how the U, like the U horses were affected with the uh, plus minuses, it's kind of really screwed them in a way because now they're getting stuck in class three. And they're having trouble declassing. So I think ELO will be a, I'm really, really bullish on ELO because I think it'll be a good way to like keep all the fields really even. And also just give everyone like a much better fighting chance at actually getting like to make some money with any horse that they may have. Yeah, it's it's kind of tough because I feel like a lot of the ways in which people make money in Zed today is finding ways to manipulate the class system to like artificially get weaker fields and then take advantage of those horses. I mean, Marshall, like you were saying with, with your friends, I feel like, um, you know, they were racing in class five or class four and facing like what should be at least class one or two fields, horses that were just able to sandbag their way all the way down. Um, you know, I'm not quite sure ELO fixes that completely because, um, you know, U shapers are still going to, you know, have that variance where they can kind of stay in a lower class. If you're a distance specialist, you can still kind of sandbag ELO in a, in a worse distance. I, you know, this is a little bit complicated, but I wonder if you'd need like some ELO tied to, you know, a distance, um, class either in a distance category or in a specific distance so that you know you're racing horses within a distance that are approximately the same level at that distance and then you're not like you know a marathoner that's able to race weaker marathoners because you're running sprints all the time 
Um, so I, I don't know if Zed is going to, you know, launch ELO and then kind of move in a direction where like they tie ELO to distance, but I think they would need to do that to fix all the problems. Um, okay. So how would you, cause even like in our current system right now, we, we see like, there's no incentive in class one. So either in our current system, in our current system or the ELO system, how would you like to see class one incentivized? Yeah. So I, I think, um, I, I mean, most of us really are excited for the token launch, um, and the prospect of juiced pools in class one. Um, I think having a positive sum like EV plus, um, pool for everyone that gets to class one as kind of a reward um, and a bonus for being there would be would be great. Um, I think also having tournaments only for class one would be great, um, where you have like dedicated prize pools set aside just for those horses. I mean, the market dynamics of the game get a little bit messed up when class one horses um, are struggling to make money and it's only the horses that are able to like manipulate the class system and go down that dominate and take advantage of a lot of like newer players or weaker horses. Um, so I think, yeah, just adding that monetary incentive through specific tournaments or juiced pools um, would, would really help. And then I, I, you know, I love all the ideas around like segmenting horse attributes and having people race, you know, against unique fields, whether that's, you know, by bloodline, or by color, or you know, having different racing types like top six double up. Um, that was like mentioned on Twitter by Arbitrage and a few others. I love that idea, um, you know, because that rewards um, consistent base ability horses over variants, and then maybe you have like a winner take all format for variance horses. Um, so kind of you know, adding more racing types, adding more segmentation, either in tournaments or even just races. Um, to kind of broaden the group of horses that are able to be profitable. Um, but then I also think with class one, they really need to make it much bigger. Like there's just not very many horses that race every day in class one, which the impact of that is the fields are very concentrated. And so you need enough volume to dilute those fields such that, you know, you're expanding the pool down of horses that can be profitable. Um, so more throughput, more volume, more available races, um, and it kind of creates this positive feedback loop where like, you know, if you have more volume, then suddenly a few more race horses are profitable, which then, you know, a few more can come in and then a few more can come in. And so you kind of build your way down. Um, but as I said, yeah, class one has some issues. I think um, any any and all of those would would be a huge improvement. Okay. You, you kind of touched on the pros of a Zed run token. Do you guys see any potential cons or negatives coming with this? Marshall, do you have any, any ideas there? Oh, I'll pass it to you. Okay, you'll pass it to me. <laughs> Marshall's <laughs> like, I'm excited for the airdrop. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so airdrop would be a positive. Um, <laughs> I think, you know, what I love about the token is it provides the ability for outside investors who maybe don't want to play the game to add liquidity into the ecosystem because they're just generally bullish on the vision and the roadmap, which really benefits all of us. Um, so if there's more ways to add liquidity besides just buying and racing horses, um, it kind of grows the pool and the market cap of the entire ecosystem. Um, another thing I really like about the token is it kind of right now, you know, with traditional businesses, um, I think Chris Dixon talks about Web3 a lot and he kind of has this 
point of view um, in, in several of his talks and podcasts, but web two companies are value extractive, which means that they, you know, create a platform and then they charge fees and pull money out of the ecosystem so they can make a profit, right? And that pits them against their users and other stakeholders. With a token, you can create a shared ownership model where we're all kind of owners in the liquidity and success of the platform. Um, and then, you know, no longer is the company pitted against the users, but we're all stakeholders in the system and we all benefit from that upside. Um, and so I, I think with that in mind, um, one of the things I really want to see in the Z token is a revenue share. And so well-designed tokens capture the cash flow of the platform and then share it with all token holders. Um, and, you know, I, I'd love to see Zed, um, instead of taking their cut, like just take their cut in so in as much as they like hold the token, right? So everyone holds the token based on the token, you get a certain revenue share and however many Zed tokens Zed has, that's how much revenue share they get, mm. right? Um, and so I, I think that would kind of build value into the token. What I don't want to see is a token that's like just used to pay for like fees. Like I love that we earn ETH because I, you know, I really believe in Ethereum and I, I love getting cold hard ETH in racing fees. And so if they just replace ETH, which I love with a Zed run token with no value aspect, I'm not excited about that at all, <laughs> right? Um, we can earn Zed run token if it has a value aspect or earn ETH or both. Um, but, you know, I, I think that revenue share component is really important. Yeah, I love that. You hit on a lot of stuff there and yeah, it, it makes sense. And I would, so are you kind of saying like a dividends type thing to where they just redistribute what they have back to anybody that owns the token? Yeah, but I, I think like a lot of the yield in DeFi and other platforms is like paid partially through inflation of the circulating token supply and partially through revenue and fee. And I think at least in the early stages, both of those are okay because you want to reward early adopters with a little bit of the token inflation. Um, but then you also need like actual revenue and cash flow to support that. And so, you know, if, um, you know, if we have a certain cut on breeding fees, for example, I'd love to see some of the breeding fee money go to the pool that's a revenue share with token holders, mm -hmm. right? Um, I, I'm sure there's going to be lots of other ways to capture cash flow in the ecosystem, but then redistributing a, a part of that back to token holders. Um, or at least to like token pools where we can like race for them. Right. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, either it's horse owners or token holders or, but, you know, redistributing that back to the community um, and then kind of like, you know, not being hundred percent value extractive by the Z company. I love that. So I'll ask you this. I'll start with you, Marshall. What is your day-to-day -day role within your team? Like what do you, what's, what's, when you wake up, what do you do within your stable? Yeah, um, it's pretty variable for me right now since I'm still in college getting that done. So I uh, I pretty much try to race when I can. Um, when tournaments come up, I definitely try to help qualify since at this point we have so many horses. It's pretty much impossible for one person to be able to get all that done. So I do a lot more of the, I would say, on the racing side of things. And uh, it's pretty much usually what I'm doing and hoping to do a lot more, obviously, when I'm done at college and able to then just go full time and do it. Nice, man. Saunders? Yeah, I, I mean... And Marshall, I think that sells your role a bit short because um, we talk about like everything that we do. So any move or any decision, we're like strategizing and like talking constantly about it and bouncing ideas off of each other. So it's really kind of like a co-founder relationship with, you know, both of us being 
um, there for any critical decision. We don't make a single decision without the other. Um, we talk about everything like constantly. So I think um, I think having Marshall, um, you know, kind of like start this whole thing and then um, you know, really be there has just been like so valuable. Um, and yeah, so I've been, um, I guess, focused on um, like buying new horses. Definitely, we've done a lot of buying um, and kind of like sourcing leads for that. So kind of meeting people in the community. I think I'm, I'm pretty active on Discord. And so messaging a lot of people on Discord, looking for deals. Um, and then, yeah, and I, I do some racing too, obviously. <laughs> um, but yeah, and then, and then I think like what I found with Zed is it's kind of like a, a small business. And so there's lots of ways to monetize horses. Um, and you really need to optimize all of them to kind of get the most value. And so whether that's finding breeding partners, um, you know, improving your bloodlines, racing, selling horses, buying horses, it's kind of all part of the um, game dynamics. So how do you guys go about finding breeding partners or just your breeding strategy? Like what's your guys's thought process on that? Yeah, let's see. So I think you know, I would love for diamond hands to just take all my studs <laughs> because he's like, I, I told him that like, he's such a good breeder and um, you know, I, I want him to um, you know, have success. And then that obviously um, creates strong bloodlines for our horses to have success. So I think, you know, there's a hidden aspect of the game, which is preserving the strength of your bloodlines. Um, and so if you just go on the open market with breeds, you have the risk of, you know, maybe not having the most ideal breeding partners or um, whatnot, which could, you know, cascade and have your horses look worse at breeding than they actually are. Um, finding like high quality breeding partners is, is challenging. Um, and so if, if we have like a, a stable and for any stables that are listening to this, please approach us with breeding deals because we love to breed with other serious stables that we have like a long-term relationship with, um, that we feel confident in kind of getting a win-win um, for both of us, rather than just posting it on the stud farm and then having, um, you know, maybe anyone breed who we, we don't have a relationship with. But um, I think like finding those other strong stables that want to breed with us, we give them great prices. I think we probably have some of the best prices for friend stables um, anywhere out there for like the quality of horses we have. Um, so we're really looking for people that want to breed with us, have that relationship, and then give them as many breeds as possible. Like I said, you know, for, for the stables we have strong relationships with, I wish they would take all of our studs because, um, you know, we really value that. Awesome. So you, you kind of said it earlier that Zed running is like, is a business and it really is. So how do you guys go about like extracting profits? Do you guys take out profits? Is it just reinvest, reinvest? What's your guys' play there? Um, I think, you know, we, we invested quite a bit of money up front. Um, I think for a lot of the money that we've made, we've reinvested some of it, but not all of it. So I think we want to kind of be ROI positive. And most of the way we, we think about things, we want to kind of um, get ROI and then kind of save that. Um, but like, uh, I think the places where we love to reinvest are on a big sale. So if we do sell one of our horses, um, we we'd like to reinvest at least some of that money back into the ecosystem and then and then maybe take some profit for ourselves okay sweet and uh i'll get into the twitter questions now real quick all right so this is from blockchain bloodline he says are they still buying and if so what's the budget and strategy 
It's a great question. You know, I, I think we're pretty much done with big buys. Um, so anyone that has like a monster horse that wants to sell it, we're probably not the best ones to buy it anymore. Um, we, we've invested a ton of money. And I think um, at least where the game is now, um, there's kind of a marginal return on getting new horses that are like roughly equivalent to the ones you already have. So like, even with the stable we have, um, we only have like 20 something horses. We can't even race them all because a lot of them are class one. There's just not enough class one races to get them all in. Um, and so if we keep adding more horses, there's just uh, a less marginal benefit. It doesn't quite justify the value. Um, whereas like if you had a, a stable that didn't have as many horses already, they would get more value from those additional purchases. So yeah, we're, we're, we're pretty much done. All right. I didn't know Zoom had a damn fucking time limit on it. I just got. Oh no! <laughs> I don't know, man. I got to upgrade it soon, but it's all right. We got we got ten minutes left. So uh, this is from Trots NFT. He says, uh, "Would love to hear their buying philosophy, philosophy, philosophy slash process, both with expensive horses and um, some." Okay, wait. My bad. I would love to hear their buying philosophy slash process, both with expensive horses that may take a long time to make back price. So maybe yeah. like, uh, how long would you see like to make back your investment on Artois? Like what we kind of already touched on that, I guess. Yeah, that's a great question. I, I think, especially for the higher end horses, our thesis on those is that they will maintain value better over the long term. And so part of the value or like the ROI in getting your value back is you know, the cash flow that you're getting from breeding deals, racing, tournaments. Obviously, you need to be a good racer um, or a good breeder to capitalize on those. But then, you know, staying elite for a long period of time because you are kind of in the upper um, segment of horses so that, you know, you could sell those horses later to capture the rest of the value. So let's say you're making, you know, 10 to 20% on your original purchase per year racing or breeding then you know you do that for a few years and then you get a sale later um, to capture the rest of it. So I, I think our strategy is both on the you know cash flow side but also on the you know having lucrative items that will maintain their value over the long term. All right. And this from Royd Rager Racing he says ask them what horses they tried to buy but couldn't afford. <laughs> That's a great question. Well um yeah there were there were definitely a lot of horses that we tried to buy where either people just said no, or they like the prices were crazy. Um, I don't know, like a lot of Zed stables really value their horses as they should, right? I mean, um, if, if a stable has a good horse that they love, they'll either put it off limits or just be like, you know, a hundred ETH or something like that. Um, we tried to buy Secret Strategy from Royd Rager. He said no. Um, we tried to buy a Live After Five from Poseidon. They really value that horse. I mean, and he's been a monster in the tournament, so I can see why. Um, the price was too high. You know, Good Boy Racing has some monster horses with Rendezvous Peak, um, Third Head, uh, Barack. I think those were a little bit expensive for us, even though we love those horses. Um, let's see. I, I don't know. I, Di Diamond Hands, most of his good horses are just off limits, so we haven't even tried with that. <laughs> um, those, those are good examples. But I think, you know, Star Strider is another one. We, we talked to that owner a bit and um you know the the price was just too high i think you know even for good horses we were never hoping to pay more than you know 30 for them and i think we we, we paid more than 30 on one horse 
which we felt was worth it, which was chromatic theory. Um, but, you know, I, I think our comfort range was more in the like 10 to 25. Um, and so if, if prices were getting higher than that, um, we, we weren't super interested, but. Okay, gotcha. From Dallas Diamonds, he says, what gave them the conviction to invest a large amount into Zed? I mean, I think it's the community and how like passionate everyone is about the game. It's just like when you see how many people are just so addicted, I guess I'd say to the game, it really just brings you in and like just seeing how many people like talk we talk to each day on Discord is just crazy. It's just like you kind of build like uh, a whole nother set of like friends in a way through it. And it's just like such a good community. It's like, why wouldn't you want to be more a part of it? Right. hundred yeah, percent. That, that's that's almost exactly what I was going to say, too. I mean, it's it's so funny because Zed has definitely has some problems that they're working on fixing. And, you know, we hope as much as anyone that, um, you know, those problems get resolved this year and, and into the future. But I think it's it's just so funny to see how passionate everyone is about the, the issues and how many ideas they have and suggestions. And, you know, the general chat on Discord is like a total mess, but it's, it's kind of hilarious. And everyone's just like super passionate about it. Um, and, you know, just from the standpoint of us coming in new only a few months ago, and like the relationships and connections that we've made, um, all the people that have reached out to us. I mean, I think our DMs on Discord must be like hundreds and hundreds of like new people that have um, that have you know had great conversations with, and and it's really global too. Um, I actually before Zed worked for a global remote company and got to work with people all over the world, um, and kind of Zed brings me back to that mm. a little bit. Um, you know, the Australian community and the people in Europe and you know, all over Asia, South America, Africa. I mean, I, I meet people from um, so many different places and, and that's just like really nice um, to have that global community of people that are really passionate about about racing and gaming and- um, I'm 100% and, with you. Yeah. 100%. So from Sunny Days Tables, he says, if Wagme Racing could change one thing about breeding, what would it be? Well, we need private breeding. Oh my goodness. I, I think- We've had so many breeds sniped um, when we have a breeding deal. And then, you know, everyone's like sitting there right when the horse goes live, trying to click and like get the breed right when it's there. And then, you know, if five people get it simultaneously, um, you know, maybe some of the people that you're trying to breed with don't get it. And then the horses always get stuck in the stud farm because it can't handle the parallel, um, the parallel breeding. So I think, you know, having um, a, an option not to list your horse publicly on the stud farm and just choose who you breed with would be really great. I mean, we own the horses. We'd love to be able to choose who their breeding partner is to preserve the bloodline, but also because, you know, we have a deal with them um, and, and we want that deal to go, to go well and be successful. Um, and yeah, I, I guess even for the public stud farm, if you do list publicly, I'd love to get like requests, like, Hey, I want to breed with you. And then you at least get to accept. So I can like look at the horse, that I'm breeding with and, and say yes or no. I think you don't even need private breeding if we could just say yes or no to mm. a breed because then we would just say yes to the people that we want and no to the people that we don't. So That makes sense. From Lucky yeah. Jack in the chat, he says, what does Wagme think about the Genesis HODL strategy, especially with super rare you use as an alternative investment to racing? Super rare. Um, so he, he, he's asking... Know, how we would value a super rare coat color and hodl yeah on the genesis level that's a great question well i think we'll have to wait for the 
super rare tournaments, right? I, I heard that that might be in the pipeline. Um, depending on you know how they end up segmenting tournaments or other racing in the future, I think you know different segmentations could get a lot of value. Um, if there's super rare tournaments with big prize pools, rare tournaments, other attributes of horses that start to get valued, um, that could be a great strategy. I could see like the floor price of those spiking just on the announcement of a super rare, rare tournament. Mm. So that's a great point. That is a great yeah. point. All right. So we got two minutes left and I want to, I want to get you guys out of here before it cuts us off. So I'll ask you this, if you, if you had the keys to Zed, you could change one thing in Zed run, Zed run right now. You could bring back odds, take away flames, take away fatigue. What would you change and why? Marshall, you go first. Do you, do you know what you're going to say? Oh, no, I don't. I was not thinking through it. I was hoping you'd go first. <laughs> One thing about Zed. Oh, man. Um, I mean, I really would love the private breeding. It's just been such a hassle. Um, that really would be really nice. Some sort of way to control who you're breeding with. Uh that's that one really sticks out to me a lot just because we've been sniped in the past and especially when we first started we even got sniped when we had like raspberry berry as our main stallion <laughs> we got sniped immediately our first go so that would be really cool to get um yeah I, I think this is like more general but i and and, and maybe this is you know partly out of self-interest but i would love to see um like better market dynamics in the game where like good horses are valued highly um, because there's a lot of people that have really good horses, but they're not able to be profitable because of the issues in class one, whether that's like the scheduler, um, that might be my number one fix request or, um, other issues with class run on like throughput or race availability. So I, you know, I, I would probably say all the class one category of issues. All right, cool. And where can people follow you guys at and, uh, contact you guys at if they need to? Yeah, you know, we're on Discord. So we're the Wag Me Racing on Discord. Hopefully there's not a fake Wag Me Racing, but you can also um, message us on Twitter. I think we're we're pretty active on Twitter as well, yeah. at, at Wag Me Racing on Twitter. Mm -hmm. Sweet. Well, thank you guys so much. I want to get you guys out of here before it cuts us off. I appreciate you guys making your appearance on Zed Daily, and I appreciate you guys uh, for giving me your time, man. Yeah, Thanks so much. Yep, thank you. Nice meeting you guys. Have a good day. You too. You too.